refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha. Good morning. Am I being amplified? You can hear me? Okay. Um, welcome to the monastery for the Sunday program. We just finished Beginner's Mind Retreat, and as I'm looking around, almost everyone here has either done Beginner's Mind or was just in it. So you know what that's all about. We do, what, four, sometimes six a year of the beginner's mind. And um, Chosen mentioned today how lovely it was to be at the closing circle and hear people express the fruits of the practice and, and um, the joy that they find in discovering um, their own minds and learning about themselves through this. And... I was struck by how essential that is. Um, sympathetic joy or empathetic joy. The ability in this practice um, to move from fixating on what am I getting out of it um, to being able to share in other people's uh, joy and benefit and, and uh, a mutual celebration of the practice together. Especially if you do a lot of practice in this setting. It's like inevitable. You have to make that, that shift. And you know, we all, all the residents share in that. I help run the place, help support those who happen to be in the teaching role, um, cook, clean, etc. So um, this isn't my main topic today, but I just wanted to mention empathetic joy. Empathetic joy is one of the Buddha's, actually one of his core teachings is that if we can uh, open beyond our own self-concern and actually really take in the happiness of others, it literally becomes our own. You literally get the same emotional surge, the same refreshment from somebody else's happiness as you would if it was internally arising. That distinction actually doesn't make sense at that point. And it's a matter of just opening, of letting, letting self-concern fall enough to, to be present with someone else's happiness. It's a kind of uh, undefended attention, an undefended attention. The other side of that is we have to take in people's sadness. And we have to, to be willing to feel, share in everything, not just the happiness, but, but nonetheless, um, it's an expanded, an expanded self, you could say. I wanted to uh, talk about something I hadn't talked about before. And so I want to talk about, my, my working title is The Secrets of Deepening Meditation. And I like that because it was kind of cheesy, like something that would come up on the side of your Gmail and a little advertisement, like a webinar. One of those suspicious books when you go really deep in your Amazon search and they start to get more and more curious, like, who wrote this? So the secrets of deepening meditation. It, it's important to internalize that Zen is not for the elite. The, this practice is not for special spiritual people only. Really, this is a practice that everybody can do and, and take deeply. Everybody can know inner freedom through applying methods. 
everybody can come to know the ground of being. Can come to know that that clarity out of which everything springs from. Everybody can greatly reduce their suffering and their their internal and then thus the external friction in a life. Everyone can return to an intimate relationship with the universe and all its beings. And so the Dharma teachings provide the tools to do this. We, we, we have the tools and what we, we have to meet the tools with um, the time. We have, to, we have to do the work. We have to meet them with commitment. We have to be willing to, to go through the cycles and stages and the challenges of learning. In a way, it's a new skill, to learn a new skill. And so I wanted to talk about uh, an aspect of the skill of, of meditation. So here at the monastery and in, in Zen community of Oregon, we have different approaches to meditation that are taught. And the teaching group is often, we powwow about this and wonder how to make it less confusing. Uh, because uh, some days we're teaching concentration, and some days we're talking about awareness, and some days we're talking about loving kindness, and we say concentrate on that and don't concentrate on this. And there's all these different ways you could come at what really is the same uh, practice. So the common denominator with all the practices that are taught, I think this is true in, in Buddhism, is it's an effort to attend to the present moment, to some aspect of present moment experience. Now, if meditation is about the present moment, then why use the word deep? Because remember, I wanted to talk about the secrets of deep meditation. Why use the word deep? There are a number of words. I'm thinking of writing a little essay to one of the Buddhist magazines and talking about three or four words that we should remove from a Buddhist terminology that are misleading. So one of them is deep. The other one will be stillness and then emptiness. I think all of these words, they mislead, misinform us as, as much as they, they help in some ways. So the problem with, with saying deep meditation is we hear that and it implies that we're going to go elsewhere. I want to do deep meditation, so that means somehow I'm going to go to another realm. I'm going to astral travel if I really get it in the Zendo today. I'm going to be filled with blue light and, and float into the cafeteria. I'm going to become disembodied. I'm going to somehow exit my humanity and experience something better, a little cleaner, a little less messy. So deep, deep, um, I think is a little problematic. What we mean by deep, I think what's that, what that's pointing to is a more unfiltered experience of the now. So the less we experience through the filters of our fixed beliefs and personal conditioning, and the more attention comes to rest, uh, with less quivering, attention comes to rest in the actuality of our sensory experience, what we find is that there's a whole lot of space. That the very same moment, or is it the very same moment? 
I don't know. But the now that was experienced, let's say, in a, a certain habitual way, I have this, this body, this is me, I have this mind with all these problems, there's this moment, and it is now 2015. It's the, the 20th, the most important cultural event of the century happened uh, yesterday, the release of Star Wars. Um, all of the usual ways we position ourselves and categorize this moment. I am an engineer, and I have all of these problems and all these health issues, and this is my situation. The unfiltered experience of the now is, is in a way going beyond that, or, or that is just the skin of what we are, and reality opens up. And we find um, peace, it's one thing we find, but we also find uh, spaciousness and completeness and uh, incomprehension, that we really, when it comes down to it, we don't know what's going on with this life, and that is wonderful. That, that's how mystery and, and freshness comes in. So in my webinar, for a one-time fee of $29, you will learn the secret keys to deepening your meditation. So here's a preview. Uh, the first secret key is uh, compassion. That if we don't have compassion, and that can that's internal and external. In a way, it doesn't, it doesn't really make that much of a difference, ultimately. If we don't uh, have, have compassion, we won't have the impetus to do this work. Another way to look at it is, is if we're too comfortable in our current situation, there just won't be the fuel to see deeper fuel just won't be there because everything's okay. So there has to be a sensitivity to suffering. There has to be a sensitivity to suffering, inner and outer. And we have to allow the questions that naturally arise with that sensitivity. What can I do about my suffering and the suffering of the world? How do I respond? What is going on here in this human mess? Really, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? We did a dissection the other day, and I was struck by when you open up an animal, just how much of the body is related to simply eating and excreting. What, are, what is this life really about? Is there more to this life than eating, mating, excreting, sleeping, repeat? What is the point of existence? What is life about? Is there more to this and an unreliable flux of pleasures and pains and successes and failures. So suffering gives rise to these questions and it's not that we want to answer these questions philosophically, but we want to answer the questions uh, about what life is through our own internal experience meaning they're questions that are important, but we don't answer them with the head as much as with the heart. Now, some, some people say that we're more aware of uh, suffering than ever because of technology, the ubiquity of suffering. So every war, massacre, all the discrimination, all the injustice, every financial crisis is beamed directly to our phones 
and screams just un- unendingly. And maybe that's, maybe we're taking in more uh, awareness of, of suffering than, than people of the past. Um, but of course, it's not a modern phenomenon. So in one of the, the classic descriptions when the Buddha talked about uh, meditation, uh, he, he talked about the, the stages of meditation, one of the first things he says is that the practitioner should withdraw from a distracting environment in some way or another and then put aside worry and fretting for the world. And put aside worrying and fretting for the world. And what I find interesting about that is implicit in that statement is that the, the person who is ready to meditate is sensitive, sensitive enough to be concerned. The person, the person of spiritual practice is, is, is connected, is really aware of this larger situation. And so the, the putting away of the worrying and fretting of the world, I don't, I don't think it's indifference. It's a putting aside of the worrying and fretting mind in order to develop a mind that can actually see through the causes of our suffering and then help others do the same. It's putting aside the worrying and fretting for the world in order so that we can use our sensitivity for a clear response to the suffering of the world, not not a, a turning away. So the first secret of deep meditation is compassion for oneself and for others. It's, it's a heartfelt call to extinguish unnecessary suffering. You need to come to a point of intolerance to continue in the way of friction and constant disappointment and constant unhappiness. But really find the internal fuel to apply these methods and see through and see beyond. So the the second secret is relaxation. We had a teacher here a few years ago who uh, translates meditation texts. And he said, these texts, the people that these texts were intended for had very little stress in their lives compared to what we experience nowadays. They didn't have clocks on every wall reminding them of the constraints of time. Clock is a relatively modern phenomenon. They didn't have um, the automobile and the computer and the, the accelerated pace that that has brought into a human life. They didn't have worries, probably. Didn't have worries about every food that crosses their table and whether where it came from and what it's contaminated with and am I allergic and all of that. So the old meditation manuals, they don't strongly emphasize relaxation all that much. Once in a while you encounter that, but they just assume that the, the average person is, is somewhat uh, relaxed physically and mentally. But we may have a remedial relaxation work to do. At least I, I know I have in my practice. When I first began, I had to do yoga. I had to do yoga alongside meditation practice because my body just had too much holding in it, too much uh, hardening from, from my history in order to sit down and really let the body be soft. So when we talk about sitting still, we do not mean forcing the body into immovability. 
we talk about stillness, that means we relax into a settledness. That when the body takes the upright posture and relaxes, we, we easily and naturally come into a certain kind of stability. And in that, the chest rises and falls, the diaphragm contracts and expands, the, the whole body moves, obviously, when we breathe. So we're talking about a natural uh, coming to rest and surrendering to our gravity. So relaxation is key. If, if the body is tense, then the breath is constricted. The breath is constricted. And there's a connection between letting the, the dross of the mind wash away and being able to exhale and inhale fully. We have to let the exhalation be full, complete. So let go. The body and mind are, are connected. The vital energies that animate our bodies and senses, they can be uh, hindered if the body is holding, is holding tension. And we relax because we're not generating something through striving. Meditation is not trying to make a better state of mind happen, but rather, in a way, you could, uh, you could make a summation that we're relaxing into our natural condition, which is an open, spacious awareness. Our innate condition is meditation. And we're relaxing that which uh, moves us away from that. So the formal posture is both really helpful. It's really helpful to sit upright. It brings alertness, brings a certain dignity in, into, our, into our being. But it also is, is, it can be challenging to be relaxed in the upright posture. And part of that is, is um, we make meditation into something. It becomes sort of like an event, a special event. Now I'm sitting down and meditating. Now it must mean I need to kind of brace myself or do something with my body and mind because now I'm meditating. Um, the teacher, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, he, he observed this in his Western students that they made a big affair out of sitting down for meditation. So he told his students, you should cultivate a folksy attitude around meditation. A folksy attitude. That is, not exactly casual, but don't, it doesn't have to be um, a, big, a big ceremony. You just sit down. Just sit down. This meditation is as natural and intrinsic to human life as brushing your teeth is, as having a meal, as going to sleep. It's just another, we're just including a, a, a nutrient that's essential that's normally left out of most lives. So relaxation, and that's, that's ongoing. So in a, in a meditation period, you may start, start out sitting relaxed and then find as the mind gets going, certain thoughts give rise to certain bodily tensions. Maybe habitual tensions associated with worry or concern or whatever. So throughout the meditation session you have, you're, you're softening. You're, you're alert to the body um, habits of, of closure coming in again, softening, softening. So there's a sense of an ongoing uh, monitoring. The third secret is forbearance of discomfort. Now, this is interesting following up on relaxation because um, we will never be completely relaxed for long. Um, bodies have tension, bodies have aches, bodies have quirks. 
in developing the sitting posture, which is an ongoing art. Um, there's muscles that are being strengthened, especially in the beginning. They're not used to being used, so we're, we're using muscles in our back, for example, that perhaps we've never really used before, and they need to, to build strength. It doesn't always feel great. There's also uh, the phenomena of energy channels open in the body as we bring attention to our embodiment. There's vitality that begins to flow, and that process sometimes is actually painful and doesn't feel great. <coughs> so the forbearance of discomfort, I feel, is really, really important and is a place where people, if we don't understand this, we sabotage further progress. Because what happens is if we insist on being comfortable all the time, and especially at home, this is a challenge without the structure. If we insist on being comfortable all the time, we'll break our concentration with too much moving. We'll move the body, and when the body moves, the mind gets moving. Or we move the body, and the unification of body, mind, and environment that just takes time to happen gets cut up. We begin to, you could, you could experience it as um, you become fused or you become, you melt into your environment as meditation uh, settles. You be, you, you, it's hard to distinguish yourself from the rest of experience. The senses blend together. Body and mind become one, the environment. So it's a very wonderful part of the process. If we move all the time, we kind of slice that. We slice that. We establish ourselves as beings who are ultimately separate from the universe. And then we're back to, so to speak, square one. So it's important not to move too much and break concentration, or also with discomfort, internal complaint. It's another thing that we need, that we'll have to face as we want to settle deeper into meditation, is we'll have some uncomfortable sensation inevitably, and the mind will start moaning about it, complaining. And that also is a barrier that we, we've got to uh, let go of because that's just more, more mental activity. So there's the level of just forbearance, patience, tenderness with the discomfort that comes in meditation. And like all things, it's impermanent. It will come and it will pass. And if you can stay with it, almost always on the other side, there's... there's something new, if not just increased confidence that all sensations come and go, and I can, I can be with them, they don't destroy me, but often the most profound restlessness we experience, or sudden fatigue, or heartache, or surges of aversion, these are actually like gatekeepers in the practice. And there are, are traditional maps of meditation, and if you read them, they talk about when you are approaching a new stage of meditation, it's like a plane approaching the sound barrier. And it starts to, I've never actually seen this, except on television, it kind of starts to vibrate. There's turbulence. And if at that point you don't keep flying, you'll never make it through the sound barrier. And the same thing happens as we approach different cycles of meditation. When we're about to descend into another stage, it's often accompanied by some sort of discomfort or disorientation. So that manifests differently for different people. One way I experience it is a kind of skin-crawling restlessness. 
I feel like if I don't get off the cushion in the next five or ten minutes, I'm going to just explode. And the mind tells you this is not bearable. Like There's no way I can sit through this. As soon as the bell rings, I'm leaping up and running to my room and eating a piece of chocolate or whatever way meditators cope with their discomfort. But eventually, if we want to taste the next stage of meditation, we have to be with that discomfort. And being with the discomfort means holding it in awareness and, and feeling its texture. It doesn't mean being overwhelmed or destroyed by it, but, but staying, staying with it. The same with really strong aversion. Really strong aversion arises, and we might actually believe our story that it's that person's fault that I'm so irritated and angry. But in a way, that's, that's just the, the object that the mind is using for its aversion or anger. But there's fear underneath that. And actually, what's happening is progress in our meditation is happening. We're getting to bottled up aspects of our being. And if we can stay with them, there's something on the other side. So this happens um, emotionally, and it also happens just strange, weird feelings in the body that, that tend to want to get us off the cushion, whether that's in a particular period or for a couple of weeks or years. And those are the key, key times. I'm not saying sit still if you're really going to be injured. But in these, these situations, these are the key times to buckle down and to really stay, stay with it because there's something on the other side of these gatekeepers. Um, the fourth secret. The fourth secret is um, we have to let go of our tight grip on time. One of the things, I think this is universal, that you'll observe as the mind begins to actually come to a place of profound clarity and settledness, it will leap up and either grab at something that happened to us or something that might happen. See, what's happening is by meditating, we're moving towards the dimension of timelessness. Really, in a way, you could say there's a whole hidden mode of being of existing that's timeless and spacious. And we only can experience that to the degree that we will stop referencing the past and the future. And I experience it sitting that, that the mind and body viscerally want to move towards planning and the future, viscerally want to move towards the, the, the past and grab onto something. Because if we are really right here in the present moment, there is no story. If we are really firmly and vividly alive right here, right now, we have no history. We have no history in that moment. We're just alive right now. And the reference, the reference points that define us and largely define our suffering, they start to slip away. And something is very afraid of that in us. So it's a kind of, of test or a particular barrier that we approach is letting go of the constant reference to time. Now, this certainly does not mean um, a permanent abandonment of intelligent reflection and planning. I'm talking specifically about sitting practice and about how in our sitting practice we can go deep and touch the source of being. We really can. But it involves letting go of this continual reference to the past and the future. 
it is interesting to um, investigate off the cushion when we're involved in the, the, the relative mind, we have to be, how much planning and reflection that we do is actually prudent for a mature adult and how much is extraneous. I think it's one of the more interesting studies we can do in Dharma practice. How much planning and reflection is just being responsible and being caring and how much is just obsessive habit and anxiety. One of the, the misconceptions of the mind is that that's the only way to really care and take care of a life, is to continually worry, to continually reflect on what's going to happen and somehow strategize the optimum path, the path of least pain and least challenge. But as, if we do this study of, of, of in a way, surrendering to spontaneity, we might discover something very different about time and our own ability to respond. So I had one more secret, but I'm not going to divulge it. You have to s sign up for the seminar. <laughs>